This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer a Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer a Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. For the ones standing guard. For the eagle-eyed. For the knights in shining armor. And for all those who support them. We are Granger, your experienced safety partner. Offering supplies and solutions for every industry. Committed to helping keep your facilities safe. And your people safer. Call clickgranger.com slash safety or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Some cars are comfy on the inside but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. It's time for another film study. This time we got an actual, well, kind of an actual game to look at as we're going to look at the preseason week one game against the Jaguars yesterday. Kemi Cusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing good because I'm finally back uh, with my family back in a studio after uh, over a month of kind of traveling and recording wherever I happen to be at the time. So I'm all good now. Now, you're, you're actually in northeast Florida, right? In the Jacksonville area or close? Yeah, it was funny. I was online. I was complaining about the NFL charging to make me watch preseason games. And then my brother-in-law pointed out that I'm in the Jacksonville TV market. So I was able <laughs> to just watch it with a pair of antennas. There you go. So, all right. Cam, uh, we got to talk about the fact that we're now on a new site and all your writings are now on a new site. But let's first, let's uh, get introduce Maureen and welcome her. Maureen Curran is is my wife, and uh, we've been together a long time. We score football together, and and uh, Michael Crawford, who would normally be in this spot, has some family issues tonight, some family in town. I don't want to say family issues, and couldn't be with us. But Maureen is going to join us, and she's done the scoring with me, and hopefully a little bit different perspective on uh, the way this is put together. Hi, everyone. Yeah, and we've done an episode, I don't know, last year or the year before, at one at – some point in this podcast, we've done an episode, Maureen, with you talking about the fact that you sit there and score all these games alongside Ken. Correct. We went through our process of grading the players, offense and defense, and how many times we watched the game. So I'm probably the only woman who's been to the preseason game and watched it. Most people don't even sit through the whole game, and I've seen it now three times. Yeah, I think you might be the, one of the few people who watched the game three times that is not employed by the Baltimore Ravens. <laughs> yep. Uh, Ken, well, talking about process, your process changed a little bit today, and you are no longer with Russell Street Report. 
No, that's right. So uh, wish wish them well, particularly a lot of the writers there, and uh, and you know, certainly miss the environment after years. But uh, we're branching out and we're putting the material on a new site. It's uh, it's yours actually, Josh. So maybe you could tell them about the site we're on now and uh, how that material and the podcast will be there. Well, sure. I, I built the site, but it's all your content on there. And in fact, I stole your Twitter handle to come up because I didn't come up with an original website. So it's real simple. It's filmstudyravens.com. It's got all of Ken's. It's got an archive. If you want to go through it to Ken's writings for the past like six years, I think there's stuff from 2013 up there. Okay, least. so that's still under construction, right? So we're still working on that. Yeah, the archives. The archives are not as fancy and picture friendly, but they still got all the text you can read about. You can read about the really boring 2013 preseason games if you want. Up there and, and, and look back and learn what and it's actually probably a good idea to go back look at those preseason games the seasons you remember and see if the preseason how that shined on the regular season but if you go to filmcityravens.com very first on the front page is everything from this year and and the podcasts are getting posted there the articles as you break down offense defense whatever else is going on all your all ken's writing is going to be on filmstudyravens.com and uh, I think it looks pretty nice. Nice, clean interface, and I'm happy with it. Yeah, uh, appreciate that, Josh. I can't can't tell you enough how much I appreciate you putting in the work to get this up quickly and and uh, have a nice spot for this to, to be. We've gotten a lot of questions today about where's the thing? Are you still going to be doing the articles, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. et cetera? And we just want to lay that to rest. I'm still planning to do exactly the same articles, one on the defense, one on the offensive line. We'll do two podcasts per week, one – on the defense, one on the offense, and you know it'll it'll be very similar in terms of what's produced, and there'll be special projects as well, all the usual stuff. Right. So, yeah, got lots of questions today because it is it was a sudden change, but uh, the way you can help us out for the listeners is when you see us, when you see Ken post new articles, just share it on social media, retweet, same way you've been doing with the podcast. Let people know about the podcast, let people know about the articles, and let people know that there's no hiccup. There's not even a delay. You didn't take a week off to change websites or anything. There's no hiccup in your writing. No, we're, we're moving on, and uh, and uh, life is good. Right. So let's move on, and let's uh, we got that out of the way, all the details and all those questions. Let's talk about the game Thursday night where, if you just look at the scoreboard, 29-0 is a great win. But maybe we should just, I don't know, do you want to just back up and talk about, like, just getting to the game? It was beautiful weather for a preseason game in Baltimore. Yeah. Um, one of the few nights where it wasn't sweltering hot or raining, uh, which was really nice. I think there was a little rain forecast, but it was a nice breeze and uh, it was a little warm, but you expect that this time of year. Uh, the main thing was, though, going getting into the stadium, uh, fans now have to scan their own tickets, and there was a problem with the readers uh, being able to read when you had the ticket on your cell phone. You had the lanyards, you were fine. I hope that maybe next game they have a separate line just for season ticket holders, uh, but we'll see. Yeah, that would have made a lot of sense. I tell you what, that must have been 110 degrees right in that area that was all compressed with people, but I was sweating like a pig by the time we got through that line. There was no breeze there. That made the big difference. Yeah. Now, I love, I'm a big fan of the tickets on your phone. It's how I get into everything now, even all my flights and everything all on the phone. But I'm amazed how many people have trouble with their phones and they either have, don't have the brightness up or they're not on the right screen or whatever. So I can totally see if they're not there and like have an usher walking you through, they really expecting you to do it on your own. They do have ushers to help, but people really need to have the ticket, the barcode available on their screen when they get up to the reader. And that was part of the delay as well. Yeah, I'm not sure what the sensitivity of the reader is. You bring up brightness, Josh, and I think that might have been an issue, but they were having to redirect people to some experts who were going to get people through. Uh, the best way to go is if you've got a lanyard and your ticket on your phone, bring your lanyard and that'll help uh, move the line through quicker, I think, next time. 
right? Now, this is all part of the NFL kind of changing. I guess I, I assume it's the entire NFL, not just the Ravens, changing to try to go with these more digital tickets where they can control scalping in theory and stuff. And, well, they, uh, this, this, yeah. You make an interesting point there, Josh. The NFL actually is completely in bed with the secondary market. So they understand the nature of it, and they don't have a problem with it. In fact, when Steve Bishotti speaks, he often says – Maybe we could help you with the secondary market by having the total season ticket cost broken up differently into the preseason cost and the regular season cost so that there was more of a differentiation. And then, you know, people would understand paying face value for a regular season game and then paying a lower face value for a preseason game. Sure. That's not really to help you in the secondary market. That's to help him who's hearing people complain that why do I have to pay full price for a preseason ticket? Right. Well, his, his so point trying, is legitimate, though, that, uh, that yeah. the price of the entire season pick package is not going to change. So right, uh, right. if that's the given, he can read the money around. Yeah. Right. Right. It's the same price, but preseason tickets are now half price. I get it. Um, I don't know. We're seeing that in baseball where some stadiums, including Camden Yards, are now even signed on with that clear thing from the airports where you can go in and just get a retinal scan and walk into the stadium as you, without wow. your tickets. I have so, not heard that. That's cool. Yeah, it's it's it's. I didn't sign up for it because I wasn't in Baltimore long enough to deal with it. But it's something that they're experimenting with. So uh, they definitely want are continuing to advance these ticket lines and every, and the time of the old paper tickets is gone in sports. Now, how was the crowd for a preseason game? I took Mandy to a preseason game, her only NFL game she's ever gone to, probably about ten years ago, and I was very embarrassed by the people around at the preseason game. <laughs> So how was this crowd? I thought the crowd was a little thin, but they were well-behaved, and there were a lot of people signing up to say it was their first game, and they got a button uh, to show it was their first game. So kind of reminded me of more of a minor league baseball game. Yeah, that's that's a great analogy because you, you have a lot of people dancing for the camera. A lot of people would love to be on camera for these kind of things. Uh, you know, a lot of people, I think, want things like kiss cam or other things. There's a lot of sharing of photographs. The Ravens now really encourage that. They have they have something you I don't know whether it's Ravens flock or flock watch. Ravens or something flock. Like, yeah. Where they, Found. where they where they where right. they uh, oh, hashtag. Now, I, yeah. I just want to point out that's Maureen. She's my wife and she does the pound, too. Not the hashtag, Josh. And we got to lay off I everybody. Know. The show. I know. And that's why people have trouble with their phones going into stadiums. I get it. <laughs> All I'm right. dating myself. <laughs> All right. Well, you want to jump into the game? Sure. Well, let's talk about the streak a little bit first, because this is 14 straight preseason games won by the Ravens. I and wish that meant something. I know we won all four last year. We went to the playoffs, but, you know, we didn't make it the year before, and we still won all four games. Yeah, it's, it's a very good point. Uh, one of the things that, that I think is that it does prove is that the Ravens have extraordinary depth. And the Ravens are not winning these games by accident. In fact, to win 14 in a row by accident is more than a 16,000 to one shot. But to to go ahead and uh, and do it with an advantage, you, you would have more of a chance to do that. The Ravens have defensive depths, and they've allowed only 5.6 points per game in the second half of these last 14 preseason games and outscored the opponents by approximately two to one. Uh, over the entire period. So th there are good reasons why it's happening. This was the seventh time in these 14 games they've held opponents to 10 or fewer points. They've never given up over 13 points and a half. Uh, and it's really all about that defensive depth, the twos and the threes being better than the opposing twos and threes. Now, does that not matter? I say it does because uh, that depth carries over to those difficult end of the roster cuts and you know Maureen you and I have been through a lot of bad seasons with a lot of injuries and how nice it is for the Ravens always to have that next backup defensive lineman or in the last couple of years to have that next backup corner right I think it also helps later in the year because guys aren't going to be healthy the whole year you are going to have some injuries and so it really helps to have depth on your line yeah okay couldn't agree more I think the other thing we need to talk about before we get into some individual performances, I want to do that, but is the playbook. And I, I, I hear 
a lot of talk about it being a very vanilla offense and a, frankly, a very vanilla defense for that matter. And, and I think that's really to be expected this time of year. We saw, uh, you know, base nickel and dime alignments. Uh, do you want to speak to that at all, Maureen? Um, well, we really only saw the dime in the second half um, a few times when Trawick was in. Um, but I think part of it is you don't want to show your hand in a preseason game. You want to save some of those surprises when it means something in a regular season game. Yeah, absolutely. So that that goes for some of the schemes, too, for blitzes and whatnot. But but it very much goes for what alignments you have. So we didn't see any race car packages like with four or five outside linebackers on the on the field. Uh, I don't believe we even saw more than a couple of snaps with three outside linebackers on the field. So I think Ferguson might have bumped inside a couple of times, but uh, but they didn't try and, and, and move to a lot of that. They had two defensive linemen on the field for for. Uh, with the nickel or with the dime for most of that second half. Uh, so we didn't really see much different from the from the basic schemes. I don't expect anything different offensively. A lot of plain vanilla stuff. We're not seeing the 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 cool stuff that Roman has in the in the uh, playbook. And, and we know that as the season moves on, we're going to talk about the offense uh, in a couple of days. But we know that Roman will layer on element after element week after week to that playbook. Okay, so you're ready to talk about individual performances? Yeah, let's do that. Let's uh, let's start with some guys. I have a bunch of guys handed out, but Maureen, if you want to if you want to toss out anybody in additional, please feel free. Or Josh also, and uh, to the extent that these uh, tie in to any questions in the mailbag, Josh, just hit us up, and we'll we'll uh, we'll work in their question there. Okay. So the first guy I want to talk about is is Anthony Averett, um, who. Uh, I think played pretty well and, uh, you know, has given the Ravens other options that they might not have, and specifically with regard to the future of Jimmy Smith. Well, the top four corners we didn't see play at all, Carr, Smith, Humphrey, and Young, uh, nor did we see the top three safeties, Thomas Jefferson or Levine. They all sat out, um, which provided an opportunity for Averett, Kennedy, and Cyrus Jones. Right. So Cyrus Jones normally would not be on the field at all. And he played only a couple snaps last year. I may have the number wrong. It may be as many as 20. But the, the few snaps that he, that he did play, he played at slot corner and he got the start at slot corner in this game. Got a pick six in front of the home audience, which is a great story in and of itself. But, you know, one of the questions we've heard, and we'll just jump to Jones now as one of the players we're going to talk about is, um, uh, you know, he's he. he does he have to make this team as a returner, or can he help himself with the cornerback element? Well, I've always said you can't have too many corners. And uh, I think we had six last year. And, you know, Jimmy Smith always gets hurt. He's going to be injured. He's getting older. He's probably not going to make the whole year. Um, I just think you can't have too many corners. Right. They have they have a lot to choose from at cornerback, Maureen. As, as we know, they didn't play the top four. They played about another five or six others in this game. So they have a lot of players on the margin, like Kennedy, who is good, like Cyrus Jones, who brings you that other element in terms of a punt returner. And so one of the questions we have here is, uh, you know, to what degree do they lean on what the player can otherwise do to accentuate or to, to, to give some additional value to what the guy does on the base. And I think, honestly, that Cyrus Jones is probably going to have to make this team as a, for what he does as a punt returner. And if, if the Ravens have enough corners, they would look to find their punt returner from another position, whether that's Sneed, if they want to save a roster spot you know, with someone they already have. Boykin returned kicks in college could also be a possibility. He might be too valuable for that now, but, but you know, that's also a possibility. Anyway, the Ravens are, are going to be in a mode, I believe, down the stretch where they're really going to have to try and figure out where they can save a roster spot. Well, who else would you see returning punts? Well, I mean, I, I guess, you know, Boykin did so at Notre Dame last year, and I know you're, you're a Notre Dame fan, so you know this, but, but uh, beyond that, uh, you know, Snead is a possibility. They've had uh, other guys that have been special teams players, uh, Tyler Irvin, who would potentially be a fourth running back, might be a guy you'd, you'd bring in there and then also have him for special teams. So there are a couple different possibilities. But anyway, those are, uh, are are some of them. Anyway, I think that if Jones is to make the team, he's going to have to do it 
based on what he does as a punt returner. And certainly, if he fumbled a couple times as a punt returner, it's not going to matter how much cornerback he can play. Right. But if he can return a ball, I think he's got it made on the team. Yeah, this this would seem to help him. And, and you know, he he had three fair catches as a punt returner yesterday. So it wasn't the best best thing. But but I'm, I'm hoping that that you know, his play at slot corner, the pick and whatnot is that little extra edge. But it's the it's the hair. It's the additional straw. It's not the the main value he's going to bring to the team. Since you're six corner, it's a bad thing if they ever play. Is there with guys returning? Is there what about McSorley? Is is do they use him in that way? There, there's a lot of talk about finding ways to keep him on the team and keep him making an impact. Right. Would that be a place to hide to use him at least maybe not until RG3 is healthy, but yeah, it's it's a good question, Josh. I mean, I don't know if he has the real top end speed to be a return guy. And we saw what one layer down from top end speed does last year with Grant. And he was a 465, 40 guy, so not the fastest guy in the league, certainly. And it really shows up on punt returns when there's any kind of lateral movement involved. It's very hard for that player to get around the corner. And Grant, that's not the reason he lost his spot. He really lost his spot because of the fumbling. But it, it's uh, it's it's something that makes it very difficult to, to have a good return. Cyrus Jones, quick cuts, fast guy in general, is is uh, going to be the best option the Ravens have. He's also, I think, the best at getting under the punt and getting in a position to return it. Now, I don't know what McSorley did at Penn State in terms of returning kicks, but it just doesn't seem like an obvious fit to me that he'd be the guy. I believe. No, I believe he's got no experience except for with the Ravens practice doing it. Huh. Okay. They I just did. think he's too valuable as a backup quarterback. You've got RG3 who's injured and old, or old for a quarterback, excuse me, that <laughs> um, I think, and, you know, we did see uh, Lamar didn't play every snap once he was made quarterback. So I think you do need a backup, even if he's just sitting on the bench. I think he's too valuable to be risking on punt returns. Yeah, that's especially true this preseason when the Ravens have to find a way to get through these games. And I don't think that and practices for that matter, they could bring in a new quarterback and, and have another Callahan sitting around to basically eat up preseason snaps. But they, they need to actually have quarterbacks that can throw in practice to complete these one on one drills. And they need to have, uh, you know, guys who can take the snaps during the during the preseason games and uh, and hopefully not be a big liability. Um, okay, well let's let's move on to some other players. I think we've talked about this this cornerback situation a little bit. Anthony Averett, just to go back to him for a second, I did think he played very well. He he probably benefited from a couple of over underthrown balls in this game where he didn't have the best coverage. He was flagged once uh, uh, for what well, wasn't pass interference; it was a defensive hold that that generated a first down. But otherwise, I thought he did well. He got a PD and he knew how to play aggressive underneath defense on that play when he had help over the top, which I which I thought was one really good thing about Averitt. Anyway, as a fifth cornerback, I absolutely love him. Kennedy, the guy who's the sixth cornerback now, or maybe the seventh on the team, but probably the sixth, would be a huge upgrade for most of the teams in this league. A guy who I think would be in the top five cornerbacks on at least half the teams in the league and maybe top four for some. So it, would you want to try and trade him for a draft pick? Yeah, I think that's the that's the most likely thing, Maureen, is that he'd be traded for a maybe a seventh round pick uh, as cut time approaches. And the Ravens are sure that their uh, depth has held up. So they really need to make sure they get through without an injury and they don't need Kennedy or or uh, another one in the same position as Stanley John Baptiste, who will be a free agent after this year. And, you know. While we like those guys, certainly both of them, we like their, their their quality of their play, the Ravens don't own anything about their future. So the, if they don't play this year, they don't really have any value to the Ravens. And, you know, a draft pick is a good consolation. Now, if a seventh-round draft pick maybe doesn't seem like much, but, you know, I, I think Ravens fans can understand why it might be, you know, pretty valuable. We have a lot of UDFAs that have done well for us, so seventh round is is a valuable player in my book. Yeah, that that's a good point because if you draft him instead of get the player as a UDFA, and Gerald Willis could have come in on that basis this year, 
then you have their fourth year at the reduced cost instead of having a player like Skura or having other UDFA players like Pierce where you have to pay them a higher salary in that fourth year. You instead pay them effectively the league minimum in that fourth year. So it is real nice to have that extra year of control on a, on a player that you believe in their future. And it might not pan out, but hey, that's the nature of all all the guys you sign as UDFAs. And uh, I don't think they targeted uh, Kennedy. I think they were targeting Averett, and that tells me that the Jags were recognizing Kennedy as being a decent player. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting point because it's certainly true in the game. I think we only saw Kennedy targeted a couple times for short gains, six and eight yards, as I recall it. He was soft on one play, gave up a completion in front of him, but it may have been near the end of the half or on a in a long yardage situation where they it was a third down. But anyway, I did notice the same thing. Obviously, we, we score the games together, so it's not like this is this is entirely independent. But when they're targeting Averett, that does tell you that they think they think Kennedy is probably the better quarter corner. And that's just a very interesting observation about how the Jags would view the situation. Well, let's let's move on and we'll talk about well, one more. Hold on real quick. Before we get out of this area, I do want to bring in Brian King's question on Twitter, who's wondering why do we always talk about the temperature rising on Jimmy, not Carr? It seems okay. like on the field, Jimmy Smith is better. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know if I agree with that, but but let's let's say I did. Let's say I, I say that Jimmy Smith is 10 percent better than Carr. And last year, Carr had a really good year. So I'm not sure I, I'm not sure I completely agree with that. I think the things you look at as the positive in in Carr's case is that one, the Ravens have an option on Carr in 2020. The second thing is Carr's durability is just extremely valuable at the cornerback position. Like Maureen said, you have injuries every year. Jimmy Smith, you can count on missing time just about every year. Carr has made however many consecutive starts at cornerback now, 176 or 192 or whatever it is. He's played 16 games every season. So, that's a player you can count on being there. And that option that they have on Carr in 2020 is for only about six and a half million dollars. So relative to the cost of Jimmy Smith for this year, it's significantly less. And, you know, the other part of this is that they've got a difficult decision coming up with Jimmy anyway about what they do with him at the end of this year. He's going to be a free agent. They can either trade him now and probably get less than they would as a compensatory pick. They can and but they'd also get a big salary cap relief, nine and a half million dollars, roughly. And or they can just cut him for not for the for the salary cap savings. And that salary cap savings, regardless um, of, of of how they would get it, whether it's by trade or by cut, can be rolled into next year. So it's not use it or lose it money for this year. They can roll it into next year. Now, admittedly, this team looks like it could be a contender. And I think Jimmy Smith is probably going to be more helpful in getting there this year. And I would think a lot of other teams would think that, too. And maybe there would be some real value in trading him. I think um, when Jimmy Smith is healthy, I think he's better than Carr. But I think you make a really good point about durability. And um, that, that, I think, gives Carr an upper edge. Yeah. Yeah, it's really it is thing. There's one other factor for Carr is that He's played some slot corner, and I know we've been talking about when we've been recording the games is who the heck is going to play slot corner if anything happens to Tavon Young? And Tavon Young hasn't been a tremendously durable player over his career so far. He's had some injury problems. And Avery so, played outside all game. Avery played outside, and he's played slot last year, remember? So the guy that they, they might move to the slot is Carr. And Carr actually can play at all three levels. He's played a little safety for the Ravens, although not very much, but just on a few, on a play-by-play basis to to move back there and switch up coverages and keep the other team guessing a little bit. He's played slot corner and done that on a rotational basis, and then he's played on the outside. Averett, I think it would be a wonderful guy to give time to this camp to see what he can do in the slot again. But I also like the fact that when they had an opportunity for an entire game to get him in on the outside, that they took it. Because the starting next game, you're going to have those those regulars back in taking up a good good number of those snaps. All right, well, good answer. You named age. Money, health, flexibility, four reasons. <laughs> uh, so I, I, th- I think, you, think you've got that answer taken care of pretty well. All right. Well, let's, let's move on because one of the guys that is, is really on the, on the fire right now is Justin Bethel, who was brought in here as a special teams ace. 
And the Ravens are in an odd situation because they signed him. They lost a compensatory pick. And that compensatory pick, there's some disagreement over whether it's in the fourth or the fifth round, but it could certainly end up being in the fourth round. And some of it is based on playing time in 2019. So it hasn't been yet determined whether Urban, Brent Urban, will contribute to the compensatory formula. So anyway, the big question has been whether or not they need to cut Bethel. They could either do it now, and that would allow them to keep, say, a Brendan Trawick as as another option for a special teams ace, or they could do it before week 10, and then they would still recover that compensatory pick, which also seems like a, a reasonable possibility. But then you're carrying Bethel on the on the roster for nine weeks, and you lose the ability to get that player back that you have to cut because you kept him. So I'm sorry this, to hear that because Bethel had a good game. He um, he drew the holding call that negated that touchdown return on their kickoff. Yeah, that's that's a good point, Maureen, because I, th- I think a lot of people probably missed that is that he was the guy who actually drew that because I think they called the wrong number on that. But it's pretty clearly on Bethel. And more than that, on that play, remember, Bethel was the only guy who stayed in his lane on that whole right side of the field. The whole right side of the field was open. It, it was a combination of factors. Delance Turner slipped. Uh, we had the other inside linebacker board tried to exploit a hole and got too far upfield. And then also Kenny Young committed right rather than left to fill that huge gaping hole on the field. So a lot of breakdowns in that coverage on that play is just very fortunate that Bethel was there to take that holding penalty. Anyway, that wasn't his only thing. Bethel also caught the punt in the air later on that downed it at the three yard line. So he, he was everything, as far as I'm concerned, everything advertised as a special teams player in that first game. All right, well, let's move on. I think the second half rolled around and, you know, we got some some entertaining pass rush at the least from the Ravens in terms of their uh, the players they're putting on the field and us seeing something new in terms of Ravens hadn't been there before. But uh, Ferguson came in, sack daddy, Jalen Ferguson, and he had his first uh, pro experience. Reports in camp had not been particularly great about what Ferguson had been doing. But one of the things about camp is a lot of brother-in-law play is involved and not everybody is going at 100%. So when a game like this is an opportunity to ratchet it up against live fire and and play as hard as you're going to play. And we saw that from Ferguson. He came with a reputation as a guy who had a tremendous bull rush and he put it on display. If I'm Martindale right now, I am absolutely slavering over the ability to use scheme around Ferguson's bull rush. A guy that can that get some bull rush can get you space so that slot corner can either rush through the B or the C gap. He can take either side. And I think you just have multiple options with it. And doesn't your play in the game count a lot more than what you've done in practice? I think it does. And um, Ferguson steamrolled that left guard green with a bull that caused him to be on the ground. And, you know, it's for a guy that size. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. Holding call. That was just unbelievable. So I, I don't want to. Steal your thunder here, Maureen, but that 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 uh, that bull rush to bull a guy that big and to just literally flatten him on his feet. He might have stepped on his feet, which is something that I always hear linemen trying to do in terms of delivering a pancake block. But he had the guy completely pushed over backwards. And all he could do at that point when on the ground is hold on to, to uh, Ferguson's uniform and get the holding penalty. And that negated a a eight yard run for a first down by the quarterback who escaped the pocket. So uh, ended up being a pretty, you know, a, a big play. It was probably as good a play as green could make out of the circumstances, completely dominant play from Ferguson. That wasn't of course, all that Ferguson did in that game. It was in the second half and that was against their, you know, second or third string, but still, I think it was impressive. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, I think if, if, if you're the coaches, you got to now actively work, to get Ferguson snaps against those first team guys to, to show the end. Cause this is a guy who this is still, we don't know exactly who he is. He's got a very wide range of outcomes for this season. He could be the starting rush linebacker. 
He could play 25 to 35% of the snaps as a situational pass rusher, or he could be a guy that ends up going to IR because he's just not, his body just isn't ready for pro competition. I think we've eliminated that last case with what he did last night. I think he's, I think he's at least ready to play some marginal role in this league. All right. All right. Now, another guy who's very much on the bubble at outside linebacker is Shane Ray. So, you know, he didn't even enter until late in the second quarter. And to me, that means he's not a shoe in to make the team. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you know, we were at the game talking about this and and he's we didn't see the first snap from him until I'm looking at your sheet. Maureen puts together a wonderful sheet on this and looks like he didn't enter till the fifth Jaguars drive. The fifth Jaguars drive. Okay. And that is that is far too late for a guy you really want to see what he's got. Now, Ray's had some injury problems, and in particular, he's had a wrist injury that, you know, Michael and I have been talking about a little bit in terms of how can you really test that in practice when, when your own players are going to really take it easy on you. And in live fire like this, you know, other players are going to be trying to break that wrist. They're going to be trying to counterpunch. They're going to be trying to do things to reduce Ray's effectiveness. And they're going to know in advance that the wrist is a weakness of his. So I think it's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, what he can do with this opportunity. In the second half, he had some success as a pass rusher, but I honestly wasn't all overly impressed with what he did, even though he got a half a sack and got some other pressures in addition to that. I mean, when you look at it, Ferguson and Ricard were in the game at the same time, and they did much more with their opportunities against those same opponents. I agree. I think Ferguson had a better game. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on. Uh, you know, the one guy that a lot of people had written off before camp as not really fitting the Ravens' scheme anymore, particularly on offense, was Patrick Ricard. And yeah, you know, he's a guy who, who, in theory, came came to the Ravens as a defensive lineman and a, a nasty reputation. In his first year, he was forced into some duty on the defensive line, but he's really played sparingly on the defensive line uh, since. And you know, real question as to whether he's really exclusively a fullback at this point. And I just watched a practice against the Jaguars where he made five straight, absolutely crunching, enveloping, whatever you want to call them, blocks on Jacksonville linebackers in a row during run drills. And he's pushing around Miles Jack and two other outside linebackers, uh, depending on where he's lined up. I've been very impressed with his play there, but I, I couldn't be more impressed than what he did on defense in this last game. So he, he had, let's he see. had one full sack and two half sacks. And a PD in Minshew's face is he can press the pocket against a double team. Yeah, that that play, the, the last one that you mentioned, uh, was really one where it's very unusual for a player to beat a double team in the NFL anymore. But Ricard compressed the pocket against a double team, got his hand up, and knocked that ball right back into Minshew's face. It's literally, he was a man among boys playing in that second half. He's unblockable. And we, we had all those notes for him as we went through and did this together last night. And that was a 14 snaps. That's all the defensive snaps he played. Didn't it seem like he must have been in there for 35, given all the notes we had on him? Seemed like he would have been in there more. But I also think that we could use him as a fullback. Right. Well, I think that's that's probably the place where he'll do the Ravens the most good. And and it's it's kind of like the Cyrus Jones question is, will he play more as a fullback? And and have that be and uh, sorry, will the determination be made on what he can do as a fullback as opposed to a defensive lineman? And honestly, with the Ravens, he's going to always be the sixth or seventh offensive lineman and a uh, defensive lineman. Sorry. And I love the fact that he can do it and provide you that extra layer. But, you know, he's he's been, had always been like Nate Bowling in the preseason, who was an old Raven from about 2003 who would come in and dominate the second half of games, pile up sacks in the preseason, and unfortunately was never able to make the team. Now, Ricard has another spot where he's making the team, so that hasn't been his problem so far. But, uh, you know, very similar in terms of people who could do it in the preseason but can't necessarily duplicate that during the regular season. So, uh, 
you know, I'm happy with Ricard, but I'm, I'm, I have to be more happy about what I've seen from him as a blocker. And I think his, you know, I had him written off among other people. And I think now his chance to make the team is, is very high at this point. I think the versatility to play both positions gives him a, a head up on the rest of the guys. I mean, that's just pretty impressive. And, you know, fullbacks aren't used as much these days. But, you know, you and I just recently watched, was it the 2000? What year was that? 2003? Oh, 2006. Where, 2006. Where, yeah, they made extensive use. And so you, you have a story about this, don't you? <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so we've been watching how good Ovi Mihaly was. And uh, they had a call-in show, completely unrelated to this. But anyway, there was a call-in show. And uh, Ovi Mihaly called into Billick and said, you know, who was the best fullback that you had? And he was by far the best fullback. But, you know, he said he was just asking for a friend. <laughs> Muhaley was not really even part of the Ravens' plans early in 2006. Then we went, actually, we're at the game at Tennessee where they had Someone got play. injured, right? Uh, yeah, there was an injury, but the, the Ravens came back to win that game 27-26, and one of the key plays was throwing a 30-yard touchdown pass to Muhaley, which stood for uh, almost a decade until Juszczyk broke it in terms of the longest pass reception by a fullback in Ravens history. And he, he broke a couple tackles down the sideline, was a huge part of the offense for the rest of that season with about 20 catches the rest of the way. Uh, and, and, you know, played they made very the playoffs well. that year. They made the playoffs the that home year. playoff game at that. And please don't tease me about that. Cause you know how much <laughs> I, I, I know what you're trying to do there, but that, that was you know the worst playoff game of my life. The worst game I've ever been to. And, oh. All right, let's move on. Okay. Now, now, John Harbaugh has promised us an offense that we've never seen before and, and says he's going to, that they are changing the way the NFL works with this offense. Is having Ricard playing a bunch of defense on this first preseason game kind of a sign that you think he might not be used much on the offense? He, he did play offense, too, and I don't have a snap count for it, but they used him, and they used him in a bunch of different alignments on offense. So they, they split him wide. They brought him in motion into the backfield so he could block. Well, you don't want to see that coming. That's like a pulling guard in motion when, when Ricard is in motion. You don't ever get that advantage very often. Right. Uh, but but it, they, you know, they've used him in a, in a bunch of different ways that tells me they really are trying to build some of the playbook around him specifically. So he starts the game. That's that's number one. That's an indication he's going to make it. Another, they seem to be having some play design that's working around it. Now, if they do end up letting him go, then that's one thing. A very nice write-up in the Baltimore Sun by Jonas Schaefer a couple of days ago talking about Ricard after watching the same practice that I did, uh, getting medieval on opponents. And I, I just I love that term in terms of uh, uh, you know describing the physicality and his style of play. Sure, especially when the NFL continues to change rules to take away some of that. <laughs> so that's good. All right, so it's versatility is the big thing with Ricard. Um, why don't we move on to Warmly? Sure. I well, mean, Warm I think it's a shoe in to make the team. Why are we even talking about him? <laughs> Always look at a shortcut, it, babe. All right, well, that's that's true. Wormley, uh, you know, Wormley and Sealer nominally are fighting for that starting five tech spot. I don't think there's any doubt that Wormley is a guy who's much more experienced, has already played about 35% uh, of the snaps last year or, or slightly more. And that's a guy, I think, who, who has the inside track on the, on the five-tick spot and would have had it anyway. Last night's performance, I mean, he was very good. So, I, you know, he had four highlights in a relatively short uh, time of uh, play, maybe 12, 15 snaps. And he left the game early, which means he was playing against the best players that Jacksonville chose to play. And they sat a bunch of their players, of course, just like the Ravens did. So we weren't talking about necessarily the best, but we were talking about the best that they had to offer. And I think you're right that he's he's going to make the team uh, pretty much come hell or high water at this point. All right. Um, how about Tavon Young? Well, uh, it's actually Kenny Young I want to talk about. I'm sorry I didn't make that clear. We've got a right, show right, outline we're working from wrong. here. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, yeah, so, so Kenny Tavon's Young, making the team. Just to talk about Tavon for a second. <laughs> I, I assumed he would. He's one, he's one of my favorite guys back there, and I thought we already covered his position, so I, I just read the notes wrong. All right, very good. Anyway, so it, it, Tavon, uh, I, sorry, Kenny. Tavon, Kenny had the hit of the night 
uh, on on uh, what's it? I always want to call the guy Mildred. Which quarterback was it? I forget. Minshew, Minshew, and uh, in in the first half, and honestly, it's almost one of those hits because his helmet was so close to his head that I thought might have been flagged just because of the snapback ability of his head. It and looked then, course, to me like he was going to pick up the helmet and run it in for a touchdown. Yeah, how cool. And then realized happen? it was a helmet, <laughs> not the ball. He, he might have gotten flagged for that, but that helmet rolled into the end zone. But what would the crowd have done in terms of going wild if he had dove on that helmet, dove on that helmet and recovered it, and, and then maybe got up and spiked it? That would have been even better. I threw it into the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> okay, he definitely would have been fined for that or a spike. <laughs> but even even jumping on the helmet, he probably, it probably would have been just fun for the crowd and not fun for the Ravens to give up a first down in that situation. No, but he did the right thing. Yeah, he did. And anyway, Minshew, I don't know how he hung up to the ball. I got to credit him for that. It's uh, it was remarkable that he got up from that hit. Remarkable that he that he held on to yeah. the ball. But young it reminded me of that one hit that Ray gave in that Viking game. You remember that? Ray in the Vikings game in Minnesota. We went to in two thousand nine. We went one? to, yeah. Okay. Remember the guys behind us had gone to see Ray Lewis, and they left after he wasn't. You know, hadn't done anything. They left the game early. And he had a big then, hit. Yeah, and he had a, a big crushing hit. Okay, I'm trying to remember. We'll have to go over that and make sure we go back to the video of that game. I've forgotten that. But anyway, we, uh, uh, we're we talking about Kenny Young, and I wanted to, to just make the point that everybody's trying to interview him right now because of that hit. But Young really had a very mixed bag of a game. He had a bunch of, of plays, you know, as you go through this and there, the, we have a list of the plays out there in the, in the um, article that really chronicle what went on, but he had the lane control issue. That we already talked about on the kickoff return. Uh, he did have a nice penetration where he slipped in the backfield, but it still blew up the play and help arrived and, took Armstead down for uh, for no gain. Uh, he had a pressure, uh, and there were other times, though, particularly against the run, where he did not look good. He got in the backfield once, and a tight end, of all people, pushed him right out, back, out of the backfield and into level two. You don't see that happen very often, but a tight end pulling actually did that to Young, and, and uh, it wasn't a good look. He's always been a guy who had a little bit of trouble getting off blocks, and we saw some more of that in this game. So I, I was not overly impressed with his run defense, but the really the play that really stood out to me was a play where they had Clark up to blitz off the slot, and they had to then shift the coverages so that Kennedy jumped down to cover the wide receiver. Uh, sorry, not the wide receiver, the tight end that Clark was lined up against, and that Young had to then cut over onto the guy Kennedy was originally covering and trying at least to obstruct the route underneath. He didn't get it done. It was on a third and 14 play and they picked up 18 on that conversion to McBride. And that was uh, halfway through Q2 and really was the Ravens worst play of the night. So an 18 yard conversion on third and 14 is pretty terrible anytime, but, uh, but it was really bad in that. And they were deep in, in, um, uh, their own territory it would have been a nice place to get the football. You know, the game ended 29 to nothing. I'm not going to say it was, it was a real meaningful play in the game, but it wasn't a good look for young to not really understand where he had to be on that play. So I know you scored him negatively, but don't you think a lot of people are only going to remember him for that sack? And that sack was so impressive and so domineering. Doesn't that kind of wash out some of the mistakes he made? Uh, it's an offset to some of the mistakes he made, and and I think it, you know it certainly is a positive. I think he lost ground in the inside linebacker battle, and it's an interesting thing because he wasn't direct competition in this game. Uh, Board was in the game, and he was the starting weak side linebacker. Uh, Kenny Young actually replaced Peanut in this game, and he got the green dot helmet when he came in the game. So he was calling all the plays. He was in there for every play once he got in the game. And that's Michael and I have talked about this before. We kind of thought that Kenny Young might be the guy to take over inside linebacker this year and not Peanut, uh, particularly since the Ravens have Kenny Young for another three years. And, you know, it makes sense to groom a young player in that spot. But also because Kenny Young is, is you know, quite an athlete. And it, and it really would make sense to have uh, him there. But the, the thing we've been concerning about was how his coverage uh, failures in 2018 – you know, might carry over 
into 2019. Unfortunately, I think we got some evidence of that in this first preseason game. So uh, unfortunate, but uh, but yeah, I, I think Board did less to hurt his own stock in this game in terms of fighting for that weak side linebacker starting role. They'll both play, but but, but you know, I think he. He probably hurt himself by a few snaps, what Young did in, in this last game. Gotcha. So that, that, that fits well with Bart's question of who's going to wear the dot this season. Are so, you leaning on Young? or? Uh, I, it's, this is one of the really big questions, and, and you've probably heard us talk about this uh, before. But if, if the Ravens would have the most defensive flexibility if Jefferson took the dot. And from all I've heard, Jefferson is the guy who's explaining things to Thomas in the secondary right now. So it would make sense for him to be the guy who has the dot. He's, he's, he's plays closer to the line of scrimmage typically while Thomas is more of a center fielder. So he's usually going to be in more in a better position after the play is run to communicate that call from the sideline to the other players there. And the other advantage you get then is you don't have a green dot on either your inside linebacker. So you can substitute for both of them and go to the quarter defense. And so they could put in two safeties. And if you look at this team right now, they are unbelievably deep at safety. If you added Trollick to this team, they've got six safeties uh, who are perfectly capable of a combination of free safety, strong safety and dime and quarter and still not risk, you know, not having the proper amount of personnel to play all those packages on game day. In fact, you might activate five of those guys uh, of the six for each game. What else we got in the, we want to talk about the defensive MVPs at some yeah, point, Josh, anything else in the mailbag we need to get to before we do that? Yeah, you want to go to the mailbag? Sure. Let's, let's jump to the mailbag. Now mailbag is your chance as a listener to not only get involved in the conversation, but steer the conversation. You can get in your questions using the hashtag film study mailbag on Twitter or head over to uh, filmstudyravens.com and comment on any of the posts there, and that'll also get your question to us. Uh, so, yeah, let's uh, let's go with Zach, who is wondering, who is the one player on defense who isn't currently on the roster but made the best case yesterday to potentially force his way onto the roster? Okay, so I, I'm everybody is on the roster technically, but what he means, I think, is, is the most likely <laughs> to make the 53. Yes. Okay. Yes. Who's so, a guy who you didn't think was going to make the 53 that now maybe you have to consider? Okay, so it wasn't a case of I didn't think this guy was going to make the 53, but I thought there was a chance for him being IR'd, and the variation of results is, is great. But Ferguson, by far, did the most to improve his stock in this game. And it doesn't necessarily mean he had the best game, but, but he, he played very well, and he's passed this initial test. I think all the questions have been answered about him not – maybe practicing as well as, as would be hoped. Uh, maybe there are still questions about whether he's fit enough or whether he's, you know, has NFL strength at this point, but I think he did the most to improve his own stock in this game. Maureen, you got anybody else on that that you would, you would uh, I was going to say Ferguson. Okay. I agree. That's a good sign. All right. Um, um, yeah. Well, we can move on to uh, Garnett. And uh, you all have to help me with this because I missed this nickname or Garnett just made up a nickname that no one that we're both going to get lost. But uh, his question is sack Betty has a great motor, but lacks the fine tuning techniques. Do you see him taking the next step anytime soon? OK, so I, sack I, Betty, we, let's start there. I think we'll assume it's it's Ferguson who's sack daddy. And it's, okay. it's only appropriate right. that he he mispronounces or miswrites the name because it's Garnet, like the stone. Garnet is a Marine stationed in Okinawa. He is our most loyal listener, probably of all. And he's been on the beginning. And we even tried to have him on one pod. We couldn't make it work technically because I think he has some really interesting things to say about the Ravens. But we need to get his name right. It's Garnet West. And uh, thank yeah, you for your service, that's Garnet. That's what I said. <laughs> I, I mispronounced everything. So I'm just going to say I said it that way because uh, I don't remember how I said it. But yeah, let's go. Right, right, then I guess you guys think he is taking the next step and he's in that process. Yeah, that's where I am. Maureen, do you have anything to add to that? Um, I mean, Averett, I think, is is a good one to make the team. OK, so another guy who took a step forward. I, I, I can't imagine them not keeping Averett, given he's a second year player, played a fair amount as a rookie. Uh, I think he made a great case for himself to get more playing time and be more of the rotation. 
the real question I think Avert has brought up, and maybe this is a, this is elsewhere in the mailbag, is this may really be one of the triggers that lets the Ravens trade or release Jimmy Smith. Is that you know you you have a, another guy who's probably a good NFL level cornerback. You're not as concerned about losing, uh, you know, Smith under those circumstances where those snaps are going to be replaced by Averett. All right. Uh, let's see. At Air Nugget is wanting to know about Willie Henry and is his sp- uh, is his spot safe on the 53? Well, I think because of what Willie Henry does, he's probably safe. And he's the, he's by far the Ravens' best interior pass rusher who's a pure defensive lineman. Uh, in fact, we've, we've talked about this stat on the show last year, but he had the biggest outlier statistic of 2018 that I'm aware of. And that is that they sacked the quarterback in 11 of the 52 pass snaps he was on the field. That's 21.2% in 2018. The next highest on the Ravens was only 6.4% with the postseason included, and that was Brent Urban. So yeah, I think Henry's position is safe as the I think they will be moving an outside linebacker inside. They want another good pass rusher beside him, and Henry gives them the most at that spot. Because Henry doesn't need to take a lot of other rotational defensive line responsibilities, I think he can stay rested and be a situational pass rusher. So I think he provides the team a lot in that regard. I didn't think he played all that well in this first game, but I didn't grade him because he's not really in any jeopardy. He's like Wormley. It's like, why are we grading him if, if we did? All right. All right. Uh, my favorite person on Twitter for asking questions at Josh Soroka has a few questions. <laughs> and uh, what I did is I kind of looked at Twitter to see what the conversation Raven fans were having about and pulled in some questions. And one that I noticed a, a good amount of conversation about during the game is these new uh, pass interference rules. How do you see that affecting the defense? Was it just highlighted because of being able to challenge it now? That, the, that they were and trying to figure that out, that the coaches were challenging it more? Do you see it affecting the way the Ravens play? I, I think it will affect football games, and some of it is in the, the strategy behind using challenges. So you only get two challenges, and one of them can be a pass interference challenge. Or right. actually, actually, both of them, I guess, can be pass interference challenges. But if you miss a challenge, and I think you're more likely to miss a pass interference challenge than other ones, then you put yourself risk at risk of being out of challenges. And then when the officials make a mistake that isn't in your favor, you really lose. So I, I, I know in the past, it's always been a big deal to get the other team out of challenges early. One game, they got the, they've got both the Steelers to use both their challenges in the first quarter, and that was just a huge deal. Uh, but I think there will be some decision-making on that basis. So if you think it's close and it's early in the game, you don't challenge it. If you think it's it's close and it's late in the game and that's the only chance, then you do challenge it. So there'll be you know situational challenging like that. All right, uh, Vedvik put on a little <laughs> showcase on Thursday night with four field goals, a 55-yard long, and then two punts. Are the Ravens trading him this week? This week. I think they will trade him. When, the question is when. I'm just glad to see that the guy can play. I was heartbroken when I heard that he got injured, you know, off the field last year and just very happy to see him playing and doing well. It and, is kind of basic advice you could give an NFL rookie is not to get yourself alone in a situation with people who might be getting you in a bad situation. And nothing good happens after 1 a.m. <laughs> I, I think he learned his lesson, and I don't think we'll see him in that position again this year. And then finally, I wanted to bring up today, uh, thanks to Antonio Brown, we now know there's new helmets and everything. And I guess they started this last year with new safer helmets, but I didn't hear any talk about it until Antonio Brown kind of threw his fit and all that came out today and announcing he may retire over the helmet issue. Is this something that you've heard other players talk about? I'm I'm in the dark about this. I mean, for the last 24 hours, we've been watching film okay. and, and writing. So I've missed a lot of All right, well, let me, let me help Twitter. you out. Yeah. Well, do you know that Antonio Brown is currently injured because of frostbite? Yes, I heard that he had a cryo... cryo <laughs> this is okay. the Steeler guy? The yeah, he's yeah. now on the... Ra- he was traded to the Raiders in the offseason. So, okay. cryo- so, right, so undergoing cryogenic treatment on his feet. 
Right. He, he gave himself frostbite, self-inflicted frostbite. And All right. go ahead. All right. So the latest story is last year, the NFL changed everyone's helmets and tested all the helmets because it's all part of this making football safer, less concussions, whatever. And they they made certain they did not force him to change his helmet and gave an exception to that helmet, a grace period for a year. Well, this year they said no more, no more grace periods. Everyone's using the safer helmets. So at OTAs, uh, Antonio Brown tried to use his old helmet, which he painted himself to look like a Raiders helmet. But it was slightly <laughs> off. So the Raiders uh, equipment people caught him, took it away from him. He was fine, went to it again. They thought it was over. He tried to do it again at practice, and now he's throwing a fit saying he may retire from the NFL if they don't let him use his old helmet. This I think just... this is an Antonio Brown issue and not a helmet issue. <laughs> yes, I know it's an Antonio Brown issue. I was just wondering if you even knew that they went to this safer helmet before now because apparently everyone else switched to this thing last year. Yeah, I, I know the look of the helmets is different, but I, I didn't realize exactly how it had been mandated by the league. And, yeah, certain things slip by you, even as a pretty intense football fan, in terms of little specific details about how the NFL is administering itself. So this one, this one I missed, Josh, I got to tell you. All right. All right. Well, that I suggest you read it because it's a fun read of just a, a, a guy who's making it all about himself. Um, all right. Well, let's get back. Let's. Bring back the show, close it out with some defensive MVPs from Thursday night. All right. So, Josh, are you going to participate this week? Uh, I am not going to participate for preseason because you know what I'll say. It's the backup quarterbacks, the backup guys on the field. Those are the MVPs. There you go. Okay. The cat MVPs is that the, that the Jags backups suck. That's the okay. MVP. <laughs> All right, Maureen, you want to you do this with me then? Okay, let's go. Um, I mean, Just like I think... you do in hockey, go from three to one. Okay, Ferguson is my number one. No, that's from one to three then. Okay, sorry. It, that's three okay. to one. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes has trouble with the order too. So, yeah. All right, Ferguson's your number one. We'll go with that. Okay, so my number one is Ricard. So I'll 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 start with number one too. Then uh, I just thought he was a man among boys, and just in terms of his impact on this game, uh, he did more. Though I would agree, Ferguson had a terrific game. Did you have, who's your number two, Maureen? I was going to go with Ricard. Okay, I've got Ferguson number two. I think we don't have to go over those two selections again. How about your number three? Um, I'm going to go with Kenny Young. Okay. I, I know you rated him negatively, but that sack on the quarterback to me was just a highlight of the game that made him an MVP in my book. That's okay. I, you're perfectly fine going for the aesthetic beauty. I, I, in terms of their play value, Wormley and Averett were too close for me to call, so I, I have them tied at the number three spot. So uh, uh, great games from both of them. I think they really solidified important roles on the team. All right. Well, that's a, that's exciting and a good list. That we have like good guys, and the defense is still continuing to play well. So let's remind everyone again to go to filmstudyravens.com. To continue to find this podcast as well as iTunes and uh, Spotify, all that stuff. We're on all those. Make sure you rate and review the show. Uh, Maureen, thank you for joining us. We all we know that though every byline says Ken McCusick, you do a lot of the work behind the scenes. So uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you, babe. And Ken, what do you have coming up on FilmStudyRavens.com uh, this week? New New article posted today. Mm-hmm. New article posted today on, on the defense, which has a lot of the things we just talked about, but a lot of additional information, including a lot of discussion of how the play on Thursday really impacts a lot of these roster battles that are going on. Uh, it will do the same thing on the offense or a very similar thing on the offense in terms of rating these players on the plus three to minus three scale. And if you go in there, a lot of people like that. If you just want to go for the ratings, it's a very quick read. If you want to go for the detail, it's longer still. And if you want to go to the to the longest verb, the most verbose uh, way, you'll get your version of NFL Game Pass by the NFL's package, which I understand they now charge $99 for the All-22. Or you can just go against your DVR, and you can follow through play-by-play play with some of the things I'm talking about. For transparency, Maureen and I record the plays and the notes that way, and then you have them to look out there and see how did we see the play relative to uh, to what you saw. 
And don't worry, they also charge you $99 if you want to watch four preseason games on the Internet. There, there you go. And it will be, by the way, it will be free if you're a PSL holder to get Game Pass. I encourage people to do that. It's a wonderful service, and it's absolutely free if you have a PSL. So uh, you'll get an email about it. Don't automatically send your Baltimore Ravens email to, to spam or junk. Uh, try and open that and, and uh, get your code. It usually comes out towards the end of this month. All right, that's good to know all the time. All right, Ken, well, we will talk again soon. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's List of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's. Home to any budget. Home to any possibility. U.S. only. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.